Bienvenidos, I'm your host Lore, and this is Creepy Chisme. Warning, some stories and information on Creepy Chisme may be triggering and are not suitable for all, especially young children. Please listen with caution. Thank you. Hola, mi gente. Welcome back to another episode of Creepy Chisme. Hello, new listeners, because I see you. <laughs> so if you don't know, if you haven't listened to my past episode, um, yes, I started a TikTok. My friend Regina has been telling me to do it. It's an easy way to reach people. It's, e- it's an easy way to reach people you want to reach because of the hashtags, Twitter, I feel like we're losing, we're losing Twitter. It used to be, I mean, that's where the hashtag like boomed from, right? Like hashtag this, hashtag that, hashtag. And yeah, you could still do hashtags, but like, at least for me, when I go on Twitter, all I do, like that's my news anchors. (laughs) If I need to figure something out or look up something, I go to Twitter. I feel like you get 100% real news. (laughs) No, I'm not going to say that. People make up shit all the time. But like when you want to know facts, like you do, I go to Twitter and I check the trending and I check the world news and that's where I get my news. I don't trust media on TV anymore. One day it's going to disappear because it's such a joke. So yeah, my TikTok this weekend, let me just say I gained a lot of followers. And when I say a lot, I'm, I'm not, I, it, I didn't even gain like a hundred, but it was enough for me to gain some more listeners and that's the most exciting part because it's like if that only happened this weekend what's gonna happen next weekend right (laughs) and it's funny because my family and i were talking this weekend about how it only takes like one little video or one episode to go viral and that's amazing about social media but also scary because it also takes just one incident or one video (laughs) to ruin it for you so It's interesting though, but I was explaining to them how like, even though I don't get paid for this, even though this is not my career, you know how they say in life, you know you've made it when you're doing something you love, right? Well, this is something I love. And in the beginning, I wanted this to just be a hobby and for fun. And it is, it still is, don't get me wrong. But if I put in... 100% more effort than I am right now. Not saying that I don't put in effort because I do. I I love creating. I love researching this stuff and putting everything together and creating these episodes. It just makes me think like, where can I be with this podcast? Do you know what I mean? Or on social media. And it's kind of scary. I kind of hold back. I'm that type of person. Like I, I kind of hold back and I, for once, I think I need to take the initiative and just, just do it, you know? And If it fails, it fails, and if it doesn't, it doesn't, but in the end, I'm still here, y'all, because I love doing this for fun, even if 10 of you only listen to me. But there's more. There's more of you that listen. I know that for sure. This weekend, especially since I'm on vacation right now, like this weekend, I sat down to work on this episode, and I was getting my outline ready, my research ready. Now, this story that I have today, which I'll get into in a second, um, I've heard, I heard it before a long time ago, of course, but um, it popped up in my library on YouTube because I just save stuff all the time that I could use or talk about, and I remember hearing the story because it's terrifying to be honest it's my worst nightmare come true i sat down and then all of a sudden i looked at my phone and i had been sitting there for like 
a good four to five hours just working just working like i was so into the story i was so into the research i was just blown away looking things up watching videos hearing things and it clicked for me <laughs> like i know i love this stuff i mean that's why i chose to start this podcast but like I really love this stuff. And then I was just like, if somebody paid me to do this like full time, I would be in heaven. I would love to spend my days doing this. But we all have our dreams, right? <laughs> Maybe one day. <laughs> but yes, I do love researching this stuff and looking into it. You know, people who love true crime, we're all the same. It takes a special kind of person to love this kind of stuff. And if you're a true crime fan, you know what I'm talking about. Because when I say I love this kind of stuff, I'm not saying I love murder. I'm not saying I praise and love these serial killers. I, you know, it's not like that. It's more of the fascination with how can people do this. Actually, this weekend... <laughs> My friend Nora asked the question, have you ever been so angry at someone that you really thought about hurting them? And I looked at her because I was like, do we need to talk? Like, no, <laughs> I have never, never. And believe me, I have been pretty angry with some people, but I had never thought about harming anyone ever in my life. Yeah, these are dark topics that I talk about a lot, but I just want you to know, like, when I, when I say I love this stuff or I'm fascinated with this stuff, that's what I mean. It's more about how, like how can somebody do this? And yes, I tell you guys all the time, cases with children, which is why I don't really talk about them, but like cases with children and child abuse and child murder, like that hurts my heart. Don't get me wrong, every case hurts my heart, but like there are triggering topics even for me to talk about and sometimes I will glaze over them, but sometimes I... I share it with you because that's what I'm here to do and you don't have to listen to it. I try to warn you guys. I try to give trigger warnings as much as I can but you know I talk about it because I'm just so fascinated at the fact that someone, a human being, can harm someone so evilly so awful that's why i'm obsessed with true crime and honestly most of us that are obsessed with true crime are also really obsessed with psychology how different people think and different people show emotions like i at least for me i'm into that i could study psychology all the time but i have no idea what the hell i would do with this psych a psych degree like i really don't well enough about that sorry y'all <laughs> I just wanted to explain because I recently heard somebody say that they were worried for me. They were worried because I am dark. And it's not true. <laughs> I am the farthest from dark person you can ever meet. I like weird things. I always have since I was a child. Skulls and anything black. But I also love rainbow colors. And I love glitter. And I love, you know, it's a mix. It's a, it's a healthy mix. And yeah, I bash religion all the time, but I will never sit here and say anyone is wrong for believing in God. I am not like that, but I will stand up if you are pushing your religious views onto someone or myself and telling me to pray for forgiveness or to find Jesus. Like, that's your belief and you are 100% entitled to do that. 
but don't force it upon me. And I'm sorry, but we live in a society today where just because someone chooses to be atheist or someone chooses not to believe in Christ or God or anything does not make them a bad person. I'm sorry that it just doesn't. Again, it is your belief. It's you can believe whatever you want to and I can believe whatever I want to. If I want to believe a big alien in the sky or if I want to believe that we were created by aliens, then let me believe it. (laughs) I am not harming anyone. I am not forcing anyone to believe it. And no, that's not what I believe. (laughs) I just want to make that clear because I have lost some friends on my social media who probably think I'm a big weirdo, but I'm not. Like, I'm the same person. I have a good heart. Everything I do on this podcast or talk about or say comes with good intention. I promise. Religion is such an old, old, old tradition. And it's like, come on, guys. We are in a time of change. Like, think for yourself. Maybe that's why I don't like religion so much. Because it's like, think for yourself. Like, why do we have to listen to people telling us what to do? Also, why I need to become my own boss. (laughs) Alright, the story I have for you today, I want to warn and give a trigger warning, is very, very disturbing. Not just the murder itself, But our two suspects, murderers, they're murderers. They're cold blood murderers. It's it's really disturbing. And the reason I fell so hard into researching this case was because, again, I'm left with the thought, how? How can these two idiots, yes, idiots, believe me, you'll hate them too by the end of this, so freely talk about this? Now, there are some video recordings that go along with this case. I want you to hear how these boys talk so freely and comfortably with the thought of murdering their friend. I just, it's, it's sickening and yeah. (laughs) So I heard about this case a while back and what I do is when I find cases, I usually search online And I have folders of information. I also watch YouTube videos, a lot of true crime stuff on there, and I save them into a file as well. So I've heard this case years ago, but uh, it wasn't until I really got into it that it just terrifying, terrifying. Now wait, before we get into the case, We need to talk about something else. And you're probably going to think, why are we talking about this? But we have to because this case is based... Well, let me just get into it. Now, I am a big horror movie fan. No, I'm not a big whore. (laughs) I am a big horror movie fan, okay? And in 1996, a true horror movie classic was born. Oh my gosh, when this movie came out and the next year, because I think it was like back to back. The first one came out and then the next one came out the following year. So 96, 97, I was like eight maybe. And um, because it was eight or nine, my mother did not let me watch it. I think it wasn't until the second movie came out that I watched it. But even though my brother and I didn't get to watch the first one, the masks were everywhere. And if you don't know what I'm talking about yet, you about to know. So I'm talking about this the Scream movie franchise. So Scream came out in 1996. Drew Barrymore was on there looking beautiful as ever. She was so young. Nev Campbell, 
gorgeous girl too. I knew her from Party of Five because I used to watch Party of Five. My mom used to let me watch that. <laughs> but yes, a great movie. One of my top 10 favorite horror movies. The reason I like this movie is it's original. The storyline is original and it's the root of some future horror movies ever since that movie came out. Now, if you don't know what the Scream movie is, go watch it. It's on Netflix. They have all of them. Even if you, like I said, even if you didn't watch it, like my brother and I in 1996, we were too young. I remember when we went to the Halloween store, my brother was like, I want to be that. You know, the Scream mask, right? Yeah. He was like, I want to be that. And he, along with literally every household, had one kid who was dressed as the scream murderer for Halloween. I just remember trick-or-treating and like everyone was that. It was crazy. But yeah, I think my brother actually was the scream murderer like two years in a row, maybe even three. So that movie, you know, it, it was popular in, I saw it when I was probably like nine or 10. I finally got to see it. And I just remember as a child being like, wow, that was scary. And what I mean by this is you're home alone. You get a phone call. It's a creeper, right? Like it's a scary dude trying to holler at you. And he's around your home. Like that's terrifying, right? Like he's stalking you. He's around your home. He can see you. He's telling you he can see you. I remember as a child thinking like, oh my God, that is so scary. And then not just that, like he cuts the lights, right? And then he's got her boyfriend tied up and she's home alone and but of course you know horror movies it's a horror movie like that's not real life that's not real life because then what does she do she runs out the house and she's like ah, you know and then she trips and then he gets her he gets her and he stabs her and she's dead and then her parents come home and they find her and they see her. It's a crazy storyline, but it was original and I loved it. And like I said, the movie's a classic. Even now, there are people that like see it for the first time and are like, wow, that was great. Well, that brings me into this case that I have for you today. Um, because, you know, it is a horror movie, the whole plot and everything. But believe it or not, it wasn't just a movie for 16-year-old Cassie, Cassie Jo Stoddard. Now, Cassie was at her aunt and uncle's residence house-sitting and watching their pets while they were away. She had a boyfriend, um, and she invited him over to watch movies. His name was Matt, Matthew Beckham, and he invited his two friends to come hang out too. Their names were Brian Drapper and Tori Adam Chick. And they all got along well. The boys actually knew Cassie from school and what should have been a fun, very chill night turned into one of the most frightening murders that I've ever heard of. Like I said, a real life horror movie come true. My worst nightmare. Now Cassie Jo Stoddard was a 16 year old girl who attended Pocatello High School in Pocatello, Idaho. She was a very passionate, artistic, creative student. She loved music, she loved drawing, she was well-liked by all of her teachers, and she had big dreams. She wanted to graduate from high school, go to college, and study law. She was a hard-working student, but of course, she still made time for her boyfriend, Matthew Beckham. I mean, that's pretty much typical high school stuff, right? For a 16-year-old girl. Now, Matthew Beckham, her boyfriend, he knew Tori Adamchick the previous school year. 
and he and Brian had known each other since about seventh grade. Cassie knew the boys because she met them in one of her classes. They got along well and they had fun together. It was rumored that Brian may have had feelings for her and was a bit jealous of Cassie and Matt's relationship. They all kind of knew each other, so they hung out from time to time. But what Cassie didn't know was that her friends were creating a plan and she was the center of it. So Brian and Tori were the school misfits, right? Both of them were very interested in dark things, such as scary movies, serial killers, and they loved watching videos of fake murders. So I brought up the point of being into that, right? I'm into that too, but you'll see the difference between me and them. So Tori was really taken with the Scream movie franchise. The boys idolized killers such as Ted Bundy, the Hillside Stranglers, and the Zodiac Killer. Not really people you should idolize. And again, there you go. That's the difference is they idolize these people and these movies. I do not. (laughs) So as time goes on in their friendship between Brian and Tori, they sort of start to feed off of each other and kind of push each other to start talking about a plan to become famous. But of course, for all the wrong reasons, so they decide that they're going to kill someone. How do you just decide, like, all right, let's kill someone? Like, that just shows you the headspace these guys are in. So on August 31st, 2006, Corey goes to a friend to ask to buy some knives for him. The friend, who is unnamed, was 18 at the time, so... Brian and Tori drive him to a pawn shop where they bought a few knives. They told the friend that they were going to start a collection. So remember, these boys want to become famous, so they begin to film their journey. Yes, you heard that correct. Film. They film every step of the way. I'm actually surprised they didn't film the murder. And maybe they did and police just didn't release that, but I would not put it past them. So yes, they film everything. Because they film everything... In the end, that's what turns out to be their biggest piece of evidence against them. So back in 2006, okay, let's talk about 2006. And cell phones were still not that big. And if you didn't have one, like it wasn't the end of the world. Like you could survive, you know? And if you did have a cell phone, it didn't have a video camera on it. Possibly would have a camera to take grainy photos, but that's about it. It wasn't a necessity, right, at the time to have a camera on your phone. So what they did is they had a camcorder. And for those of y'all youngins out there, (laughs) a camcorder is like a little tiny box that you would record on and you'd have to put videotapes in. Now these guys, they actually had uh, one we had. I don't know if there was a different name for it, but camcorder where you would put these little tapes in it, like these tiny ass little tapes, and they would only record like 30 minutes each. And then you would have to put those tiny little tapes into a VHS, and then you could watch it on your VCR. So yeah, so that's what they were recording on, okay? So most of the video footage was not released, so only some short clips were released and transcripts of the video clips. Now the transcripts are disturbing, but it's important that you know what kind of monsters these boys were. Again, I may play some for you, but I think I'd rather just read it, honestly. I'll do my best. (laughs) So on September 21st, 2006, around 8 p.m., Brian films from the passenger seat of Tori's car as Tori is driving. The boys are speaking about a female victim. Now, let me remind you, 
they are teen boys. They're about 15, 16. I remember having conversations with teenage boys and they're freaking idiots, okay? Sorry, boys, but you guys talked about some really shitty topics. So keep that in mind, but also just listen to what they're saying. So they're talking about a female victim and Brian says, quote, we're going for a high death count. We're going to make history. We're going to make history, end quote. So then Tori laughs and says, quote, for all you FBI agents watching this, uh, you weren't quick enough, end quote. <laughs> trying not to laugh. But like, I'm telling you, they're, they're recording as if they're making their own documentary. Oh, God. And like that their video is going to go viral and police FBI agents, forgive me, are going to watch this. Now, he also says whoever the female is they're talking about, that they're on their way to visit her home, saying, quote, this is Tori talking, by the way. He says, we're going to snoop around over there and try to see if she's home alone or not. And if she's home alone, splat, she's dead, end quote. From this same clip, they released footage of Brian saying that even though he knows it's wrong to kill, he thinks there should be no law against it. If you restrict someone from doing it, then they will want to do it even more. So then they go on to start talking about Matt and Cassie, who were hanging out together at Matt's house at the time. Remember, these are their friends. So they talked about possibly luring Matt outside and killing him. 15 minutes after that footage, another clip is released of the boys being excited because they decided who their first victim was actually going to be. One of the boys says in the clip, As sad as it may be, she's our friend. But you know what? We all have to make sacrifices. Our first victim's going to be Cassie Stoddard. She's going to be alone in a big dark house out in the middle of nowhere. How perfect can you get? I'm like, holy shit, dude. I'm horny just thinking about it. Hell yeah. Now, this was the clip I wanted to play for you because I wanted you to hear his voice. But I just, I don't want to give them that glory of sharing that with you. What I said was exactly what he said in the video. And yeah, you can see how demented these boys are. They're talking about their friend. Cassie. The fact that he says pretty much like, it's gonna be our friend Cassie, and it's so perfect, and really, dude? Really? I just want you to understand the enthusiasm they had in their voices as they're talking about murdering their friend. No normal human can do that. The video gives me chills, and when I watch that video clip and hear them say that, he's excited to fulfill their plan. It's disgusting and vile. Now, on the morning of September 22nd, 2006, the boys filmed Cassie at her locker. Now, this is an eerie video, and it's pretty awkward. So, she's at her locker getting ready for the day. I think it's like 8.30 in the morning. And whoever is filming her, I'm not sure if it's Brian or Tori, is being really weird. So, the clip is like 10 seconds long that they released. But it breaks my heart knowing what they plan to do to her. It's pretty much like he's kind of recording her, kind of just to say like, yep, like, we're going to kill you tonight. And the poor girl, you know, she's just going about her day. It's really awful. Now, the same day, the boys skip the fourth period to work on their death plan. Brian says he's working on their death list, meaning they had no intention of just stopping with just murdering Cassie. They had a list of victims that they wanted to murder. Kids from their school, 
friends of theirs. So they're recording themselves in a classroom when they should be in class, but they're, I think they're in a library actually, but they're recording themselves and really bothersome. Tori looks at the camera and he says, quote, I'm sorry, Cassie's family, but she had to be the one. We have to stick to the plan and she's perfect. So she's going to die. Brian then goes on to say, quote, yeah, if you're watching this, we're probably deceased. Hopefully this will go smoothly and we can get our first kill done and then keep going. End quote. These dudes, like, they they really think, like, they're putting on a show. Like, people are going to watch this and glorify it. You know what I mean? Ugh, it's so annoying. So then they bid good luck to any future serial killers watching and then state that they've tried to strike 10 times already, but the intended victims were not home alone. Brian then says that their patience is about to pay off. So forward to the night of September 26, 2006. Sorry, September 22nd, 2006. So the same day they filmed Cassie at her locker and themselves making their death list or whatever the hell it was. That night, Cassie is house-sitting for her aunt and uncle at their home on Whispering Cliffs Drive. So of course she invited her boyfriend Matt along with Brian and Tori to come hang out at her house around 6 p.m. So the home was a pretty big home and so she gives the guys a tour before settling down to watch the movie Kill Bill. Now even before the movie ended, Brian and Tori left. They claimed that they left because they thought there was going to be a party and Cassie was like, hell no, I'm not throwing a party. Like my aunt and uncle are letting me watch their house. I'm not going to ruin it. She was a good kid. So they say they're going to go to the movies. But what Cassie didn't know was that while giving them a tour of the house, Brian had unlocked the basement door so that they could enter the home again later that night. So Brian and Tori take off from the house and they turn back and park about a block away from the residence. Again, filming, because remember, they're documenting their great journey. So Brian in the film clip says, we're here in his car. Um, unfortunately, we have the grueling task of killing our two friends. Yep, we're really nervous right now, but you know, we're ready. So they end up blasting Pink Floyd and talk about how they've waited so long for this. So Tori had an obsession with the Scream movie. Okay, that's why I brought it up. It was also said that like these boys were really into making films. Like they wanted to film like little horror movies. And I couldn't find evidence on it, but there's a rumor that like Cassie had even told them that she wanted to be in one of the horror movies. So I really think because they're filming themselves that they wanted this to be just like the Scream movie, right? So... They both end up putting all black everything, inspired by the movie, and they also put on white masks. Now, the masks were not the scream mask, which I'm surprised, <laughs> but it was, they were just like masks, which if you follow me on Instagram, I'm going to post an actual uh, photo from the crime scene. They painted those masks, so they actually took time and effort to paint them. You, you'll see what I mean. So they grab their knives and walk towards the house. So remember, the home is in the middle of nowhere. It was a new construction, like a whole new construction area. So they were just building these homes. So not much around. 
but also the homes in this area they're really far apart so like their neighbors were not necessarily like farmhouses but like they were pretty spaced out so the boys re-enter the home through the unlocked door and hide out in the basement for a little bit probably like talking each other up nervous you know idiots but they really felt like they were starring in their own movie i'm not kidding because you know what they did they tried their best to get their friends attention so they were like throwing shit i think somebody threw like an ashtray on the stairs and it broke pretty much just trying to get matt and cassie to go into the basement and check it out but matt and cassie never came down so the boys take it up a level And here's where it gets scary, guys. My heart's racing. Like, I can't imagine what these kids went through. So they actually cut the circuit breaker and cut the power in the home. So Matt said he and uh, Cassie, they were scared, but they still never wanted to go downstairs. They heard the noises and everything. Matt says that he remembers their dog, the uncle's dog, was acting very strange. He kept pacing back and forth and staring at the basement stairs. (sighs) Ugh. What an angel. Like this one, I almost want to cry. Because that dog, he knew what was going to happen. Dogs are very intuitive. And uh, what you'll see in this crime, and when I reflected on it, I... It just makes me angry. There were so many signs. So many signs for, for Cassie to get out of that home. And the dog's just the first one. So Brian and Tori are getting no reaction At least not a reaction they want. So they turn the power back on. But upstairs, Cassie and Matt, they're pretty shaken. And Cassie asks if he can stay the night with her. So Matt calls his mom and explains the situation. But of course, remember, they're only 16. (laughs) His mom is just like, no, you cannot stay there. But she does offer to ask Cassie if she wants to stay at their house. But because of the pets, Cassie didn't want to disappoint her uncle, so she chooses to stay at the house alone. So shortly after that phone call, Matt's mom shows up to take him home around 10.30 p.m. So later that night, Matt calls Tori to see what they're up to. He found it kind of odd that Tori was whispering on the call, but not odd enough because remember, Brian and Tori had said they were going to the movies, so he thought they were maybe just at the movie. So once again, the two idiots decide to keep their plan moving. So I guess because Matt called, they realized like, okay, she's home alone, let's do this. So again, they cut the lights. I really cannot imagine how she's feeling. So of course, Cassie does not go down. The boys decide that it's time and they go upstairs. After sneaking upstairs, Brian is still playing games and he wants to scare her a little bit more, you know, before it happens. So he slams a closet door to get Cassie's attention. Now Cassie was laying in the living room on the couch in front of the TV. And of course she did jump up when she heard the noise. I forgot to mention that they also stomped their way up so she can hear them coming. I'm trying to not imagine it, but like, you're home alone. You're 16, first of all. Home alone. The lights were just cut out. You hear stomping up the basement stairs and now you hear a closet slam shut. So the two boys actually said that Cassie shouted, quote, Who is that? I'll kick your ass, end quote. I know she's scared, but also like badass, okay? (laughs) So the boys just go right up to her and attack her. They stabbed her 30 times. 12 of those uh, wounds ended up being fatal. 
As quick as they attacked, the two boys fled the scene, driving off. They wanted to ditch the evidence in a remote area. You would think after brutally murdering their friend, they'd be in shock or feel sick. But the boys captured on video how they really felt. I just killed Cassie. We just left her house. This is not a fucking joke. I stabbed her in the throat and I saw her lifeless body just disappear. Dude, I just killed Cassie. I don't even think you know how angry that clip made me. Again, clear evidence of what pieces of shit these two boys were. No remorse. None. So before they ditched the evidence, they stopped to purchase two movie tickets. Because remember, that's their alibi. That's part of the plan. They then put their knives and clothing in a bag and take it out to a remote area and set it on fire. After it was set on fire, they put it out and buried it. So before Cassie's boyfriend left the house, he had told her that he would check in later. So he calls her around 12.15 and gets no response. He had a really bad feeling, again, another sign, and he calls her 15 more times that morning, all with no response. Cassie's mom had been trying to contact her as well that morning, and she also was getting no response. Oddly enough, Matt hung out with Tori and his family that night. So the next, so this is the next day now. Um, yeah, he actually hung out with Tori and his family for the evening. Now, I have a really hard time understanding why Matt nor Cassie's mom went to check on her. They knew she was home alone. And after hours of not responding, I would have drove out just to see what's up, right? Especially when Matt is getting a bad feeling and knowing what was happening the night before. But anyway, so more time passes and the day's almost done. Now, Matt claims he asked Tori to drive him to check on Cassie because he really did have a bad feeling. But Tori told him no, that he didn't have enough gas to go. I feel that though, like sometimes I couldn't even use the car if I didn't have money for gas. <laughs> even more messed up though, Matt actually slept at Tori's house that night. And that's pretty creepy. Only for the fact, well, not only. I mean, they killed his girlfriend, but they wanted to kill him too. And they could have. So Sunday morning, September 24th, 2006. It was supposed to be the last day Cassie was to house it. So around 1.15, her aunt and uncle returned to their home. When they got home, they were shocked to find that the doors were open in the basement. But even worse, when they walked upstairs, their 13-year-old daughter was the first to see her cousin laying lifeless on the living room floor. The uncle shouted to call 911. Cassie was laying on the floor in front of the TV with blood around her. Her left pinky was almost completely severed off. As Cassie's aunt was on the phone with, with the police, her parents had pulled up to pick Cassie up. Her uncle had to be the one to explain to them that Cassie was gone. If you didn't just hear what I said, her 13-year-old cousin was the one to find her. And not just that, her aunt and uncle also saw her. And I'll explain later how that affected them. Believe it or not, investigators took charge immediately with this case and quickly went to speak to the boys because they were the last to be in the home. On September 24th, police go to Tori's home to speak to him. He tells them that he and Brian left the home because they thought there was going to be a party. He tells them they went to see a movie, but he can't remember much about it. 
They then go speak to Brian, whose story was pretty much the same. He pushed that they went to see the movie Pulse, but guess what? When asked about the movie, he couldn't remember anything from the movie either. At least pick a movie to buy tickets to that you've seen. Or maybe they really should have went to the movies. I don't know. Again, immature teenage boys. So the next day, Brian is brought into the local police station for further questioning, where again, he could not give them details about the movie when asked. So they brought in Brian because he was really emotional when they questioned him at home. Now they don't know if he was crying because he lost his friend or because he was scared that they were going to catch him. But he was, he was crying. So I think that's why they asked him to come into the station. I guess they felt like if they were going to break either of them, it was going to be him. So police then tell him that they don't think he and Tori went to see a movie. So Brian was like, okay, you're right. We didn't. So they were right. He was going to (laughs) break. So yeah, he's like, no, we didn't go to the movies. So he tells police that instead of the movie, he and Tori were vandalizing vehicles in the area. But the dumbass just made it worse for him because now he gave police a reason to search his room. In his room, they find knives, not just one or two. Like he had a ton of knives under his mattress. Now, Brian claims he was holding the knives for a friend, but then they interview Brian again and he just comes he comes clean. Well, sort of. So Brian says everything as it happened, just like I told you guys, except when he gets to the part when they close the door to scare Cassie. He claims that Tori went first to stab Cassie and he thought it was a joke. He didn't think it was really happening. He claims that he just stood there and watched. So he's pretty much claiming that he thought this was all fake. The videos, everything he said in the videos, he was just playing along, right? They were making a movie. So when he saw his friend Tori actually stab her and continuously stab her, he was afraid and he didn't even touch Cassie, he claims. Which later, he ends up changing his story and he says that he did stab her once in order to keep Tori from turning on him because he was scared of Tori. So in other words, he feared for his life. He even stated that Tori repeatedly shouted at him to stab Cassie over and over. Brian then took police to the area where they drove to dump the evidence. In the bag, they found a Sony video cassette, which was the biggest piece of evidence in the boys' conviction because they revived the film on the video, so... (laughs) That was the biggest piece of evidence there. A few days later, on September 27, 2006, Tori is now brought in for an interview. He does his best to stick to his story, but police are like, look, we know what happened, cut the shit. So they tell him what they know, and Tori's dad asks if it's true, and Tori just says, yep. So both boys were arrested for the murder of Cassie Jo Stoddard on September 27, 2006. They were charged with first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. Now, her family and friends at their high school were shocked because these were all friends. Matt was cleared. He had nothing to do with it, even though I find it a little weird. But again, he's a 16-year-old boy who doesn't have a car. I'm sure he would have driven out there to check on her. If he did have a car. Now, during the trial, the prosecution spoke about how these boys were obsessed with serial killers, the Columbine shooters, and with the Scream horror movie. Also, the jury got to watch these video clips that I'm talking about. And um, again, it just shows like how sadistic these boys were. Now, at the remote area, they also found a note that read words such as murder, kill Cassie, and home alone. They found one of the weapons used 
both of their masks that had been damaged. So all of that was used against them. On April 16, 2007, Brian Drapper was found guilty. Tori Adamchik was found guilty June 8, 2007. Their sentencing took place on August 21, 2007, both receiving a life sentence plus 30 years to life for conspiracy to commit murder. So yeah, they were teen boys and they both received life sentences, but I ain't mad. So they're both imprisoned at Idaho State Correctional Institution. They've attempted to appeal a few times, Tori more than Brian, for a smaller sentence. Each attempt has been denied, but in 2018, Tori filed a federal right of habeas corpus and argued that he should be granted a new sentencing hearing due to a U.S. Supreme Court ruling from 2012. Now that states that no juvenile can be given a life sentence, even in cases of murder. Now in 2016, something similar also came out, stating all prior sentences had to be looked at again. More than 1,500 cases nationwide will be looked at, including Brian and Tori's cases. So this came into effect because scientific it has been proven that the human brain is not fully matured until mid-20s. So they are saying these juvenile brains were not fully developed, therefore they could still develop as they mature. Mm, um, I agree, <laughs> but they still did what they did. And in the case of these two boys, it was very premeditated. It later came out that Brian's mother said her son is innocent and did nothing wrong. Because in the end, the boys pretty much turned on each other. So Brian blamed Tori and Tori blamed Brian. Both claiming that the other was the mastermind. And they just followed along because they were scared for their own life. But Brian's mother and father too actually came out and said like he's innocent he would have never done this on his own like just pretty much blamed Tori when the boys got to prison they actually forgave each other red flag <laughs> they actually forgave each other and uh, said they understood why they both blamed each other but in the end they both got a life sentence so whatever so even if their cases get reopened and they do get resentenced they will always have the chilling videotapes to prove how premeditated their crime was i'm telling you they're evil humans now cassie's family are the ones who suffered the most here though even years later, they're still healing. Remember, I said her 13-year-old cousin and aunt and uncle found her in their home. Her aunt and uncle only lived in their home for one year at the time of the murder. And they had put everything into buying that home. So even though they fixed the floor and painted the room, you can't hide what happened in that home. Especially when they were the ones who saw it. Do you know what I mean? Like the fact that they were stuck. They couldn't just up and leave, you know? They had to sell the home and everybody knew what happened in the home so nobody was buying the home. Now her aunt fell into a deep depression for feeling just so much guilt. Their daughter also suffered from the trauma of finding her cousin dead in the home. The home has never been sold to this day and they still reside in the home due to financial issues and the home not selling like I said. I can't imagine being in that situation, but even stranger, the family say that they have all experienced paranormal experiences in the home and suffer every day with the constant reminder of what happened in their living room. This story only proves that even your closest friend or partner can become your worst enemy. I always say, always tell my friends, trust no bitch. <laughs>
I wish we knew more about the boyfriend though. I still think that he had to have known something. Those were his friends and if they freely talked about it on video like the way they did, I I don't know. But he was cleared just to just to be clear. He was cleared. He had nothing to do with it. Um, and I had also read an article that stated that when he found out that Cassie was dead, he had no reaction. Um, and that was something that made me feel like, hmm, you know. But again, everybody deals with trauma differently. Now, the crazy amount of times that people around this murder felt a negative feeling but didn't act on it, it just, oh my gosh. So the dog, right? Matt, his mom. Cassie's mom and even Cassie. I've had situations that I don't feel okay and you always just listen to your gut y'all. Listen, it's always right. I've had bad feelings about people that I've cut off because I get those feelings too, like about people. I don't know what happened with my ex though, so sorry. (laughs) You live and you learn, right? (laughs) But what a nightmare, dude. What a nightmare for this poor girl. It's literally literally my worst nightmare the way she died they truly created a horror movie for cassie now like i mentioned before i just want to talk about respecting the victims that i speak about and why i share these stories even as tragic as some are we learn from these stories but always remember that a real human life was taken in all of this Be careful when you search online um, for this case. They have actual crime scene photos. Now, I like to look up people I hear about on podcasts, so just beware. I should have said this first. I'm sorry if you looked it up already, but this is a very sad case. She was so young, and these boys didn't stop for one second. They truly deserve to rot behind bars, and I'm glad they were dumb enough to record everything. We will always have that to look on every time they appeal. My heart goes out to Cassie and her family and the hurt that they've had to go through. I just, I feel so sorry for them. She was too young. These idiots chose to take their friend's life. Don't forget to tune in Friday for a Freaky Friday episode. You guys seem to be loving those. Um, if you didn't, if you missed my last week's It was pretty good. It was a legend from Mexico. Go take a listen. Don't forget to find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook groups, and now TikTok. Email me at creepychisme for you. That's the number four Y-O-U with any cases or stories that you have. Share this episode on social media or with a friend. Bread the chisme, y'all. Gracias por escuchar y nos vemos pronto. Creepy Chisme is created for entertainment purposes only. Thank you for listening, and don't forget, stay creepy!